Tim, the, the people, they're out there and they're demanding their news. They're yeah. very angry. Yeah, they didn't have any for a half a year. <laughs> Lock the doors. Shut the windows. Uh, Flee to an island nation. Yeah. We, we, <laughs> yeah, we have been neglecting you, dear listeners. Except for you, that listener over there. Not you. We didn't neglect you. We Or? sent you messages. <laughs> I just wanted to make it personal. <laughs> She, he knows who I'm talking to. Yeah, uh, that's true. But here uh, we are. We're back. We're back after half a year. Yeah. Or we as we call it. Yeah, we, we didn't even announce that that would be a break. Because in a way, we didn't really expect one to happen. Nobody expects the break. No. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, yeah. well, hi. You yeah. know, we're still here. Uh, it's season two. Welcome to season two. Yeah. And and for those who are here for the first time, it's mm. me, Tim Pritlove. And? It's true. It's a, a bicycle mark, also known as Mark Fonseca Rendeiro. I yes. think I got that backwards, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's us. And, and we are your news of the world team. And we know you're only listening to podcasts uh, anymore. And so that's why we have to bring the news because otherwise right. you will probably ignore all of them. Yeah, wow. and we're both coming from uh, new studio locations. <laughs> True. I'm, I'm like 1.1 kilometer further than where I used to live uh, <laughs> in, 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 in Amsterdam. Uh, I've joined the private housing sector. Yay. Yay. And, and I'm, you, I'm, Tim. I'm, I'm 1.1 kilo kilometers away <laughs> from where I used What? to be. Yeah, it's 1,000 Oh. oh oh yeah i'm I'm in Bristol now <gasps> for half a year, and yeah, lots of things happen in your life, lots of things happen in my life and in yeah in in summary, this all led to uh, this program yeah you know, having a, a, a break true and and the good part is, I mean, look, we've always traveled you and I, but now you're going to bring us stories of the English. Oh yeah, <laughs> yes, I will. I will probably do that. Yeah, it's. Uh, I I can't say England is really new to me. You know, mm -hmm. but I haven't really been here for such an extended period of time, and I have never been to Bristol before. I must say. Well, I have. Yeah. I have been to Bristol twice before I actually moved here, mm. but it was you know just. A trip to search for locations, get an idea what this uh, city and this area is all about. Yeah, nevertheless, quite interesting, especially given the uh, national elections coming up in uh, Britain <gasps> here in May. You know, which is already the talk of the town. Yeah, and uh, uh, Bristol in that sense is um, interesting um, as a place because it is considered to be the second. Uh, the second city in, in Britain that has the chance of actually sending a Green Party member to Parliament. Who's the first, anyway? Uh, the first one, I don't know who it is, well, but uh, <laughs> no, and, uh, I guess it was Brighton. <laughs> ah! Yeah, okay. So, yeah. basically, it's all about the Southwest here. And um, the, um, the Green Party, well, you might not know that, dear listener, uh, <laughs> England still has something called the majority vote system, which means for each department where votes are being held, there's one candidate that gets most of the votes 
and this candidate is actually sent to parliament and all the rest is ignored. So even if yep. there's one having, I don't know, 30%, you know, or even 20%, when the rest is split up with 19%, yeah. it's still this winner and the rest gets ignored. Or, or even if yeah. there are two, there's a race with two candidates and one gets f 51 and the other 49% and the rest doesn't count, you know, even those 49%. Uh, are are basically completely thrown away, and I know there have <laughs> been uh, talks to change this, but you know I think in general change and England mm, they don't always go together. Not, <laughs> not in the sense, yeah, of improvements to the democratic uh, system. But you know I don't want to be bullish here on 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 england I and mean, that's just uh the way it is so it's yeah. doubly interesting that 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 are there are actually areas where other parties are able to take over i mean other parties means um there used to be this dualism as you find it in the u.s with the republicans and democrats here it's conservatives and um labor labor party mm -hmm. um A decade ago, I guess, uh, was we've seen the rise of the Lib Dems, Liberal Democrats, which mm -hmm. sort of sneaked in somehow and uh, are also able to get this or that seat. Yeah. They're still a minority in, in the parliament, but at least they're present and they are actually part of the government right now. So there's a coalition which hasn't been here for a while or two or never even, I don't know. <laughs> uh, so, and the Green Party sort of being a uh, concept imported from Germany. <laughs> I mean, that's where it's coming from. Um, isn't really that strong and doesn't really matter much. Um, but for some reasons, uh, which I can't name really right now, um, it's very strong in Bristol. Hmm. So I, I think it's also because Bristol is, well, in a way, a very alternative uh, town, yeah, bio-friendly, eco-friendly, mm -hmm. all that things. And uh, it's also a very traditional city. You still find tons of smaller shops, you know. Mm -hmm. Quite a few streets are still filled with all those little tiny shops one after the other. Uh, especially uh, Gloucester Road here in uh, Bristol, which is considered to be the longest road with s shops like this in a row in in Britain. Independent family-owned businesses? <laughs> oh, I, I, I wouldn't say they're <laughs> all independent, but it's not these large conglomerates. It's not shopping malls and um, even a supermarket is still not as super as it uh, used to be in other areas. So in that sense, it's a very lovely city. Mm. And yeah, I will report on All right. upcoming episodes of News of the World what I have yeah. learned about England. Great. One thing and, I can say for sure is that the... Public transport is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't know you would say that. Okay. Yeah, well, um, it's easy to say for me. I'm from Berlin, you know. Mm. Although Berliners complain about they public do. transport, they do. But that's German, you know. They, they, Germany likes complaining about Germany. High standards. But um, compared to the level of pr public transport you get here, and probably other areas in England too, Yeah, we're way 
way in. <laughs> well, you got that one bus per day, you know, wherever you need to go. Um, yeah, yeah. And meanwhile, meanwhile, while all these moves, these moves in our lives have been taking place, this world has kept on going. Things have been happening. Well, you have to give your your update too. I mean, uh, Me? don't don't oh. go without mentioning your new, uh, <laughs> your I... new podcast, my friend. Yeah. Oh, well, well, uh, right. So last time we left off, I guess Source Code Berlin was only beginning. And that is a project I do with uh, Wikimedia Deutschland. And um, it happens uh, twice a month. And I, I, I know that some of you out there are listening, so I appreciate it. And it's focused on the whole open source or open culture or sometimes simply creative, interesting ideas coming out of Berlin and looking at what they are and why you know, why Berlin at this time in, in history. Uh, so it's a fun sort of uh, sometimes technical, often socio-ethnological studying the culture. And uh, it's fun be also because I'm getting an education in this. I mean, I've been coming to Berlin for years, but now I'm like, uh, I'm a student of Berlin, uh, which is fun and uh, puts me in town frequently, which I got to say, weirdest thing this, this week I was there and you're not. It's just odd. It's just, I was walking around your neighborhood going, I got a call. Oh, I got, no, no. <laughs> so uh, I got to adjust to these changes, but I'll also just go to Bristol and that'll that'll settle that. Uh, so yeah, the podcast is doing well, uh, slowly building an audience. Of course, a lot of people still don't know about it. That's one of those classic issues, right? How do you get known? How do you get found? And I think one of the most wonderful ways that we've experienced here on News of the World is people talking, people telling someone. And so in that sense, it's it's good that we I mentioned it here and, and it's good that a few people that are out there have helped promote it. And uh, yeah, it's it's moving along. So that's my one of my projects these days, and uh, and Citizen Reporter does live on, so so that's going okay, um, and we'll see, we'll see. Yeah, yeah. I like I like the new uh, project and this focus on 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 Berlin, and uh, I think the program is still on the path of finding its own world, its own topic, and and, and its own style. Yeah. But uh, I always find it interesting how the way you do it is so different from how I do it. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And I like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, definitely carving out a question of even style. I mean, I have my style here, but even in that program, I look at it and go like, all right, what, what should be my approach? What's, how do I do this somewhat different? Although of course you're always yourself, hopefully in a podcast, but uh, I try to present some different version of myself, a more, I don't know, a better or different in a, in a more useful way. Mm. So yeah, but meanwhile, we got this whole laundry list of news and, and dear audience, we've been trying to figure out a way, how do you go from August until February? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we can't. <laughs> right. So here is a one minute clip of everything that happened. No. Um, so what we're going to do, I think, Tim, if we can, we can work through this, we've got our lists um, a lot of it has come from uh, Wikipedia, in fact. I don't think we need to keep that a secret. Um, they, they have these events that took place. Uh, they try, anyway, to index some events. So let's see how we do with this list. And, of course, we can add or take away as, as we go. Um, right? Shall we, we get into this? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's worth mentioning this list because I'm not, not so sure everybody is aware that there is a page in Wikipedia <laughs> on each year. 
you know? <laughs> uh, so if you just type in 2015, you get sort of the summary of the year. I mean, what, what is mentioned uh, heavily depends on what, of course, uh, Wikipedia authors think are important events. You know, yeah. but uh, even if there is some bias or might be some bias, or even if you know you you would totally uh, disagree on what is important, I think it's fair to say that world-moving events in general, you know, that is just being reported on, totally independent of you think they are important, <laughs> <laughs> they are mentioned there. So it's uh, so if you think about like what what happened in in nineteen sixty eight. You know, if you just want to have an idea of what the world was like or what it was like to grow up in these times, you know, what 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 things were actually happening, what what was on the news, what would you have seen if you were, were watched the news, then I have the feeling that these uh, lists in Wikipedia at least give you a, an idea of what it could have been like. Uh, yeah. Also, depending, of course, on, on, on from where you look at it. And I think these lists are slightly different. If you look in the English Wikipedia, if you look in the German Wikipedia, there might be more local events that are not so interesting for other areas. But in general, it's good. And uh, having taken a short look at it, I think it uh, serves as well here for this program because we published our last podcast on august uh, the 9th <laughs> and actually the uh, last event that uh, is mentioned in for august in 2014 wikipedia is united states military begins air campaign against the is uh, yeah. in iraq we have been mentioning this you know right uh, not knowing what was coming out of this actually oh. this campaign is still going on and oh, it's yeah. been one of the major uh, events and it's no longer just a u.s campaign it's really the um, yeah, the next an, coalition of the willing. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, it's true. Uh, uh, it's very interesting who is in there. Yeah, at the time in August when we last left off, as many people will maybe to prepare for this program go back. Um, but they we mentioned you know that they're in Iraq, right? That's how it's listed. There were this air uh, campaign was for Iraq, and of course. The way it's evolved, and many of you have followed this because it is such an international issue, top of the list a lot of times lately, is that the airstrikes that are conducted by the United States and, and allies, which include France, but also several um, in the region, several nations in the region, they're now happening in Syria. This is, of course, significant because it doesn't happen, for example, with the permission of the Syrian government. And it's also awkward because, well, the U.S. and allies had said they were not with the Syrian government, right? We've talked about that a lot on this program. Only Russia and China were were kind of standing in the way of any international attempts, at least through the U.N., to do something in regards to Syria, or so it was seeming, right? Um, so now there are these airstrikes. You've heard plenty about them, and they even get mentioned by ICE. Uh, well, I almost said ISIS, but I want to just say IS from now on. <laughs> Members of the Islamic State representatives mention these airstrikes, right? Um, and we've had, well, since the summer, a series of people being kidnapped and more famously people being executed in some pretty horrific ways. Uh, and, and every time you turn around, it's a new way you thought beheading was the worst that it could get. But a couple of weeks ago, we had the burning in a cage mm. of the, of the Jordanian pilot. Uh, and this is really jumping of course, from the summer to now, but, but it's sort of, this is the evolution of this thing. Um, we've had a group of people we've talked about, 
every now and then on this program, Copts, Christians from Egypt, who were also taken prisoner uh, by the IS and executed. And this has sparked an already uh, uh, somewhat willing, but now very much willing ally in this um, campaign against the IS, Egypt. And Egypt is doing this in an even a way perhaps we didn't expect. They're conducting bombing raids in Libya. Uh, get your map out. Why? Because, of course, Libya is also a power vacuum. And there are elements, at least in the Benghazi side of the country, where IS is functioning. So, so here we now have Egypt. We have Jordan, very angry, the king of Jordan, making a, quite a big deal about what's happened and, and saying his country wants, call it revenge, call it whatever, an end to the IS. And I think he's getting a lot of public support. So this is also interesting. Many in the American world, as I do listen to a lot of American media still, are saying this is the sign. When you start killing Egyptians and Jordanians, you're going to lose public support if you even had any. So a lot of people think this is a big turning point right now, February 2015, where not just, you know, these sort of Western powers, but now people in the region are going to turn against IS. That's what they say. I feel like people in the region aren't necessarily fans of IS to begin with. It's just there. And in some cases, it's in your neighborhood. So you, you live under it or you try to escape. As, as, or in the case of that group, uh, I believe they were Christians who, who had the option to leave uh, that part of Iraq. I think it was Mosul who had been there for, for generations. And they left um, because the policy is stay and pay a tax uh, or, or go and in some cases be killed. Um, so this thing is, is big. It's, uh, not going to go away. Um, and it's, uh, I don't know. I guess it's unexpected. I mean, some, sometimes we see what's coming. Many people who are observers of the, you know, the history with even from the nineties with the Iraq war and then the second Iraq war, uh, the invasion of Iraq said, you know, this is the kind of stuff that you open up this region too, if you start, you know, because look at what weapons the IS has. They look very familiar. Uh, they were manufactured in Pennsylvania or something. So uh, many people say this all connected, and I would uh, definitely hear that, and, and I see signs of it. But it's amazing, right? I mean, you look at it, and you think, how did such a group come to power, such a horrible group, and how did they get all these weapons, and how are they able to do what they're doing? But, you know, the connections are, are there for us to make. Uh, so that's a big one. So, so, so the IS and, and what's happening with this international coalition, it's definitely a big item. It has been for many months and it looks like 2015, it will continue to be. Yeah. It's an interesting, um, trend here that, that we see this new brand of, you know, of, of, of terror. I mean, we're sort of used to Al Qaeda, but it always was more about local activities um, minor attacks in a way or well the attacks themselves were probably not minor but you know the influence on the region as such was more on a, on a news level not so much on a military level but with the advances in, in Syria really taking over not only the country but also the industry the uh, oil production and, and, and everything related to that uh, and, and we see s similar advances now in, in Libya for instance that's that's really the new trend and that's what I think has sparked this this new coalition what I always wonder about is especially the um, the role the uh, Arabian Emirates 
states are playing in this Saudi Arabia, um, Bahrain, etc. Et well, who were sort of known to put money into this Sunni-led um, Sunni-led activities, you know, and um, there was a strong backlash in my point of view uh, on them, like asking them, like, what are you doing? You know, you are supporting these guys. You know, mm. is that is that really happening? And I think they had. Um, given quite a few money. I'm not so sure if it was directly for the S. I was directly related to what they are doing now. But I think they have sort of stopped doing it and changed their general behavior because the US was telling them to stop. Yeah. And th yeah, there's been a bit of... Um, and actually, that leads us to another news item that's happened in the last month where uh, the king of Saudi uh, Arabia, uh, Abdullah, passed away, as happens every now and again, in that... Uh, uh, part of the world and so now we have king salman and yeah what you mentioned you know where does the money come from who are the supporters and we've often pointed to places like qatar places like saudi arabia i think the tricky part is we're not always talking about the government it's possible but sometimes we're just talking about people with the means the money and the and the desire to destabilize the region or to fund their brand of what they see as government or religion so even now there was a, a recent item in the past two weeks out of Saudi Arabia, which shows uh, the Saudi government is spending money on a, at least in miles, 600 miles, so in kilometers, a gazillion. I like to do that conversion real fast. Uh, <laughs> a really, really big wall along its northern border uh, with Iraq to keep ISIS, that's the purpose of the wall apparently, uh, from coming into their country. Because of course, you know, Saudi Arabia, no, no, uh, no friend to ISIS in terms of uh, uh, rhetoric and, and, and ideology. ISIS will look at Saudi Arabia's collaboration with the West as horrible and unacceptable. So they're a threat to that Uh, the, the royalties that run different countries in uh, in the Middle East. And so here they are doing the building of the wall method. And we can go into the history of building walls in this world, but uh, here comes another one. And, uh, you know, that's supposed to keep their country from ISIS. <laughs> yeah, and there might be even more trouble ahead in the south. Um, not so sure. But I think the um, border there is basically... Um You know the desert, but uh, Yemen is also a country that has seen significant destabilization. Not that uh, you could have considered it to be a very stable country before, um, but the Yemen uh, was—I um, think it's two months ago or so—basically mm -hmm. um, taken over by rebels of the Hutu. Is that the right name? Uh, ethnic group, you know who sort of made it that uh, they were able to topple the military in the uh, the capital. And yeah, this is also um, cause of a lot of uh, concern. Um, as far as I know, US government has with, withdrawn all their um, personnel from the embassy, uh, other countries too, I think uh, UK too. Not yeah. so sure about Germany. They today they they uh, a statement came out from the U.S. State Department that they're going to resume slowly some activities. Oh. Yeah, but it, it it was definitely I mean, like you say, it hasn't been the most stable bunch of years in Yemen. But we now had the stepping down of the the president uh, uh, Mansour Hadi, 
Um, and of course, it was under some really crazy uh, circumstances where the presidential palace was taken over. You never want that as president. You really don't want them like showing up at your bedroom door. I mean, <laughs> they're outside your walls, okay, but when you're in your pajamas and you know, you know it's not good. But he was able to negotiate at least not to be murdered um, and just say, I'm going to uh, step down and uh, I guess pass at least some power to the Houthis who have been fighting this battle for quite some time. It's of course a big disappointment I think for a lot of activists who if anybody remembers during the Arab Spring there was a lot of activity in Yemen and the hope of course was more democracy uh, a, a transition of a different kind this is not necessarily it um, this is just a different power group taking over by force and uh, you know We'll see. And as we know, uh, if anybody remembers another event that we missed the last few months, very big one, of course, the Charlie Hebdo attack in Paris and the subsequent, uh, what was it, a couple of weeks later in, in Denmark, in Copenhagen. Um, not the Copenhagen case, but the Paris case, there was a connection to, to training in Yemen and uh, Al-Qaeda in Yemen. I don't think it was yet is in yemen i don't think they were claiming that uh so all you know this whole puzzle is connected the connections never stop uh and i wonder how that message travels around the world if it i think the typical framing in the mainstream news is look bad guys bad guys there bad guys there look pictures of bad guys doing horrendous things look we have to fight or we hide and um I think what often gets missed, of course, because it's a complicated discussion, it requires time and energy and reporting, is, of course, we're all connected in this. Uh, France, as U.S., as, as any other Western and or Arab uh, nation at this point, we, we have been involved with each other. And this ISIS thing and this IS thing didn't just uh, appear out of nowhere uh, Mm-hmm. But but that's not often how it's framed, of course. I mean, the, the Charlie Hebdo um, event, massacre, yeah. um, however you want to call it, assassination. Um, if you look at the reasons why or where these guys who actually did this assassination got their radicalization from, everybody's... Is very quickly on the topic of IS influence and, you know, they've been to training camps Train, and so yeah. on. But I think the real story behind is that the initial radicalization they got from French prison prisons. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I think both of them have been in a very infamous prison that uh, is four times uh, beyond the original capacity of people that it was designed for. And it's these places that, that make people truly desperate. You know, you, you, you get in there for whatever reason. And then, I mean, prison, especially if you are in prison for a larger crime, uh, means that you are entering a, a world of competition for survival that you haven't known before you know if you if you thought the streets were hard <laughs> before you know uh, it's nothing compared to life in prison and that's where if people don't get the support especially the muslim world you know because i think this whole prison has one person who is in general dealing with muslim oriented requests you know psychologists mm. or whatever uh you know for potentially i don't know 
hundreds, maybe even thousands uh, <laughs> that, that are there. I don't know the exact numbers. I'm not so sure anybody knows exact numbers, but it's a lot. Um, so it's very easy for other groups to step in and say like, here, you know, you're, you're looking for salvation. You know, I've got your salvation right here. And it's all about Islam and it's all about this, you know, weird theories of, 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 of what, what is worthy in your life. And then they return after a couple of years, having fought through this crazy world, uh, turned into something else by uh, people telling you that the religion is now the most important thing in your life. Yeah, and who's surprised to see... Uh, Who's surprised to see um, people being radicalized this way? Yeah, and, and the, the, there's a well-known, I mean, to quote Saul Goodman, better call Saul, you know, prison makes great uh, uh, prisoners. <laughs> it makes great criminals. It yes. makes better criminals. Yes. Uh, and, and we've known that for years. Saul wasn't the first one, but he is the latest one to be saying that on his show. Um, uh, in the U.S., you know, it's often talked about for just generally crime. Never mind what you go in for. You come out and you could do a bunch of more things, yeah. <laughs> new skills. Uh, so, yeah, and then you get into radicalization. You get into doctrine. Um, the prison, by the way, just for fun facts, was Fleury Merogy prison. Uh, it's one of like three top prisons. And, yeah, it's got 3,800 prisoners, largest prison in Europe. Well, you can see where, you know, this whole formula is going. Um, yeah, and and, you know, we've had this debate in the U.S., although you know, it's one-sided, but is a prison really a place where people get reformed, where people change, where people reflect, where people learn? The whole old idea of a prison was that you go in because you, you know, you, you, you did something, you, you serve your time. And when you come out, you're better, you know, you're better human or you, you, you've learned something or you've changed yourself somehow. But yeah, we don't really do that. And, and be it US or even Europe, uh, People go into prison, they come out, I, you know, is there a reform? Is that the strategy? I don't know. Um, I mean, there are some in interesting stories running around. Uh, interesting now, of course, after Charlie Hebdo, a lot more stories came out about prisons in this region of the world. And I read some interesting ones about Dutch prisons, for example. And, you know, Belgium was, of course, in the spotlight when a, a small uh, radical group was arrested and rounded up uh, in Brussels. And then, okay, then you heard a lot more about uh, Belgian prisoners in Dutch prisons because we have extra space over here um, <laughs> and, and how different they are and, and how more open they are and potentially healthier they are. Maybe, maybe, you know, mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, this, this, you know, and look, when cuts have to be made and if you ask the average voter, um, you know, where do you want to spend your money or where you not want to spend your money? Prisons are a place where people... Hey, those, they're bad. We don't want to give them nice lunches. Hey, they're bad. We don't want to give them TV or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. um, you know, fair enough, but uh, there's a price to be paid when you, when you decide that people are so bad that you're just going to keep punishing them and you're just going to isolate them. Um, it's not that simple, right? Um, but we don't really learn that. Uh, and, and, and I didn't go to school, you know, in, in primary school and so forth in, in Europe, uh, only later. But uh, I don't think that it's taught in school that, you know, look what prison could be or look what, let's examine how we treat prisoners generally. We don't yeah, do it. That, that's, that, that's really an interesting part. And I think journalism could focus much more on... Um on prison, on the situation of prisoners in general. I've, I've just supported some, um, crowdfunding campaign for journalism in, uh, Germany. Ooh. Um, yes. 
there's an interesting new journalist group called Corrective who joined together to um, do research. They were actually the ones behind this uh, great research done on the MH17 Uh, attack happening in the Ukraine where they were just going out and, and researching all the evidence there was, all the pictures uh, that were found in the internet, uh, essentially um, rebuilding this complete evidence trail that uh, more or less tells us that the equipment that is needed and that was used to sh shoot down this plane, you know, was high um, highly developed technical equipment that you need very specially trained personnel for. It's not just something that you, you buy on a black market, you know, and you train a few people for a few hours, you know, it's very delicate material and you really have to know what to do. Uh, so the only source of this could have been Russia because they both own this equipment. It has been seen, you know, it has been seen all the way coming from Russia to Ukraine to exactly to the place where these rockets were uh, uh, fired from, you know, and all the evidence. And this was done by this uh, corrective journalism group. And they have also opened up a crowdfunding platform where other journalists can you know, open up new projects and collect money to do their research. And there was one research Uh, that's now starting to happen because it's got enough money, uh, that's researching the situation of German prisons and the way prisoners are used for working. You know, mm -hmm. Working for, yeah, who knows, you know. There are, um, they have repair stations for cars, for instance, you know. You can get your car fixed in a prison. Yeah cheaply <laughs> but you and but, but if you ask like oh yeah and uh, how is how is this working who can go there you know yeah uh, in order not to be competitive uh, too competitive with the with the general uh, car repair market they are only allowed to fix cars for uh, members of the government Yeah. yeah, right. What could possibly go wrong? So uh, <laughs> this uh, looks very strange to me, and that's why I was uh, pouring money into that project. But yeah. you know, just to give you an, another example of what I've uh, just recently encountered in terms of everything with prisons doesn't really taste well. You know, it's not so much the prison itself; it's decisions that are behind putting too many people into prisons. If you look at the U.S. situation, for instance, uh, the people in prisons per headcount, you know, U.S. is far in advance of every other country on this planet, you know, far in advance yeah. of China, everything, you know, it's like, because it's, th that's what I assume, you know, it's, it's turned into uh, an industry, you know, there oh, yeah. are oh, yeah. private companies running it and uh, you could easily say <laughs> that, They have an interest in more prisoners coming, you know, and they need more customers. You know, how do you, what do you do to get more customers? You know, you, 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 you do everything to stir up the incentives to send people into prison. So, you know, so you design or you, you, you give your money to politicians that support more laws to put people into prison and so on. So this is the, this, uh, death spiral that, uh, is pushing the societies into a really nasty uh, nasty situation 
essentially producing their own criminals up to even terrorists, you know. But then in public discussion, you don't find this. You just find people talking about, yeah, it's like the, the evil powers far away in Asia, you know. It's those bad guys who are responsible for this. And uh, this might be part of the answer, but it's definitely not the whole story. No. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and that's just a brief uh, touching on the Charlie Hebdo thing, which, of course, you've had plenty of news analysis all over the place. Um, and, and yeah, the larger issues of things such as prisons in, in Europe. Uh, you touched briefly upon uh, Ukraine a little bit there, and, and we may as well hit it. Um, it's not next on the list, but then again, it's ongoing, right? Uh, since s well before we, we signed off to right now, right mm -hmm. this very moment. Uh, I'm sure everyone at home is sort of keeping score. We have a Donetsk People's Republic. We have a Luansk, Lugansk People's Republic. And uh, they are fighting against uh, what is uh, Ukraine, what's left. And um, at the moment, uh, skipping past a whole lot of events, a whole lot of offensives, a lot of back and forth, the destructions of at least two major airports um, and, and unbelievable images coming out of that region and lots of negative talk between both the leaders of Russia and the leaders of uh, NATO uh, representatives. I, it's not even very secretive anymore. They just openly say, like, it's your fault. No, you're doing it. Um, we now have a ceasefire. Uh, the terms are still being implemented. The first such term, besides the, the well, there was the exchange of prisoners, which happened. Um, and then there is now supposed to be the removal of heavy uh, artillery, heavy equipment, heavy weapons. And uh, I know that the Ukrainian government was doing that. I assume that the other side is also doing it. This is, of course, a peace agreement that takes place in Belarus. It's already the second of its kind. There was a first one. And um, it is potentially something. Potentially. Uh, it seems like everybody is up for this. Um, uh, you know, regardless of what negative uh, feelings there still are. Uh, what I find alarming and maybe it's it's just stories that are there to to get political attention but i can't help but notice uh including in the last week even when i was there in berlin um the stories of hey the u.s military and nato allies are in estonia doing exercises and there i see people in the streets greeting nato forces as they ride by and then Within a day, there was a story, ah, Russian military is doing exercises along the border with uh, Lithuania, Latvia, uh, Estonia. I mean, you couldn't plant better, you know, seeds for, for some kind of attention, more attention. So, um, and now with this peace agreement, I didn't know this until I just started researching today for, uh, for news for our program. Um, UK and the US will send military... I don't think they're being called advisors. We, we've <laughs> joked about that enough. Uh, personnel, expertise, assistance, a lot of nicknames for it. Um, it's not huge numbers, but it's numbers. And um, I'll, I'll link to an article that talks about this, this deployment. Um, you know, one thing they want and they probably can't get is peacekeepers. The Ukrainian government wants peacekeepers um, to, to stand there in this ceasefire, no-go area. Um, and that's going to be hard because you have to go through the Security Council. And if the terms don't feel right to the Russian government, then you get the veto, right? Mm -hmm. And we know that. So they could word it in a way. I think it would be possible uh, that would be acceptable to all. 
but it seems unlikely. So it may not be a UN thing. I don't know. It would be better if it were a UN thing, I think. Uh, but I could be wrong. So this conflict is, you know, frozen a little bit. Yeah, I mean, right now it is an OSCE uh, thing, you know, right. um, which also Russia is a part of. Mm -hmm. So in, in a sense, we already have this. And, and, and that's interesting, you know, This whole conflict, in, in a way it's dealt with, marks really a new, I'm not so sure if it's a new dawn, but it's at least a new, uh, uh, a new style. Uh, Germany is involved, Europe is involved, mm -hmm. and uh, although it all smells like Cold War all over again, you know, uh, US is sort of in the, in the second row. Uh, mm -hmm. Also, because not so much they are sent there, but also because they probably think or at least get convinced that it's uh, the, the the more smart thing to do right now. And then you have the newborn uh, pol political situation for mm -hmm. Germany that they are actually dealing with international crises. You know, um, that's the first. For a very, very, very long time, Germany has been out on this. You know, if there was some kind of international conflict, what has Germany done? First, they've gone given money. That's like what they did in the first few decades after uh, World War II. You know, Germany had money. They gave money. There were no involved. There were no soldiers. There was nothing. But they were, were, were very far away from, you know, being the negotiator. Germany wasn't involved at all. EU wasn't involved. Uh, there was France. There was uh, maybe UK. Uh, but Germany, never ever. And in the last 10, 20 years, this has slowly changed. You know, they were sending planes. They were sending uh, soldiers. They were actually... Um, Leading, uh, if you look at the situation in uh, Kosovo, in uh, Yugoslavia, you, you had certain missions that were actually led by by Germans or mostly equipped by Germans. And uh, now we've reached a level where there's actually the the trust that Germany is probably the country that could deal with the situation the best because they are sort of in a on a level for negotiations with Russia. Mm -hmm. uh, there are strong anti-Russian sentiments not right now in Germany too but don't forget you know there was once a country called GDR you know that was more or less part of Russia that has at least 40 years um, of a very close relationship with Russia lots of people speaking Russian Angela Merkel is from G the GDR so they, she has uh, her share of uh, knowledge about this mm. and uh, then there's also this very strange close relationship between former chancellor gerhard schröder nobody knows what his role is you know he's sort of vanished somehow in this whole uh, discussion but he's been a very close friend with uh, putin for a very long time you know uh, he has been uh, we, we talked about they go hunting together <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if they go hunting but at least uh it was uh, schröder who was securing this uh <laughs> <laughs> sorry <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to form a thought here. <laughs> Now these images are in my head. <laughs> so yeah, so Schröder was um, 
leading this uh, operation of uh, establishing this new um, Eastern Sea gas pipeline from Russia to, to Germany, which is sort of securing the energy flow from Russia to Germany. So on, ma on many levels, that's what I want to say. Germany has been more and more involved. And right now we've seen that this Minsk II peace treaty as the first one too, or it's not really peace. It's more like a more, a, it's not really peace treaty. It's more a, a ceasefire with additional um, recommendations on how to proceed to you no know, keep this under control. And I've I've looked through the the points they're making. You've already mentioned that you know heavy arms have to be uh, withdrawn. Uh, actually, the result should be an area of a non-armed area which could then controlled be by OSCE uh, personnel. So and uh, also there should be um, new elections going on in the eastern Ukraine under Ukrainian law. So there is more in it than just a ceasefire. It's actually some path. It's totally open if this will hold, if this can actually uh, work out. But at least there is some kind of agreement between Europe and Russia and the Ukraine that if not, it's not really solving all the problems, of course. This is totally impossible in this situation. But it's at least keeping the war away. Because this is really, I mean... It's in 19, um, um, last year, in 2014, everybody was looking back at 100 years World War, the World War, the First World War started, you know, and everybody was so happy, like, look, since the end of the World War II, there were no mm. wars going on in, uh, well, Europe. Then there was this crisis in Yugoslavia and you could say like okay this is also uh, Europe it wasn't the EU yeah, so within the EU it worked within Europe it, it didn't and now we have the second crisis which even has this additional element of Cold Warish feeling to it and that's I think that's really what was uh, making everybody really nervous hmm. uh, it made me nervous yeah um, you know because you, yeah. you 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 just didn't know what was what was going on. What if yeah. Russian would have um, taken Mariupol too? If they have closed the land um, <clears throat> area, so they had land access to uh, Krim. What if they would have marched in even further? You know, yeah. what would have uh, this meant? Because as you've already mentioned, in Lithuania, Estonia, this Baltic states, they are super nervous. You know, yeah. It, and also Poland. They yeah. are as anti-Russian as they could be and they are NATO countries. You know, If there's any kind of intrusion, it's us, all of us. And including the US who is called for help and they will probably give that help. And it's very wise to come to a point where this shouldn't happen. Yeah, yeah as of today, and I suppose with this agreement that this may affect his decision but the u.s president is still debating this whole thing of sending weapons uh for the ukrainian army and that's you know one of these big points that they've avoided until now because they didn't want something so overt to be done uh but apparently it's still it's still something they're weighing uh but meanwhile yeah you just mentioned poland poland said they're gonna be part of training 
the Ukrainian military. They're going to go in again, advisors. Yeah, I mean, sending weapons to the Ukraine would be probably a very, very bad idea because once you do that, you know, Russia uh, has all the reasons to to move (laughs) even uh, further and uh, who is going to stop them. But what I think this discussion is about is to present Russia something to actually fear Mm -hmm. Uh, because they are really in a position of power here. They, uh, on a military level, if they would really want to advance here and if they would uh, put in the, the full force of their military, the Ukraine is not going to stop them at all, you know, mm-hmm. nor is other, mm-hmm. any other uh, country there. But, yeah. um, of course, the NATO border is a no-go area for uh, Russia, for sure. Uh, but you, the Ru- Ukraine, um, you know, so... Yeah. What does Russia actually fear? I mean, Putin has shown that they are very willing to um, accept economic losses and and all those so-called sanctions, you know, might be annoying to a group of people, but it's not enough to turn them around. But there are additional means. And I think this is just part of this story. This is just part of, you know, let's see uh, here, America... You know, they can't really hold back the Republicans. They really need to, you know, <laughs> get into war mode. That's something you don't want. Um, uh, the other thing that uh, Mr. Cameron has brought to the paper for paper uh, t- uh, brought to the table for the second time uh, is the notion of kicking out Russia from the SWIFT system. Huh. And this is really something Russia doesn't like. Yeah. Um, because removing Russia from the SWIFT system, which is the international banking transaction digital system, this was would really hurt them a lot because yeah. that's where trade happens and somehow the SWIFT system is under control of the Western countries. So this is really a very strong power. It would be, I mean, doing this would be also, I'm, I'm not so sure they would violate any, treaties here i don't know how this is all set up but um it's totally apparent that that the western countries have a much more influence on this uh, system going on and and who to include and who to exclude and this is really uh, a matter of power on an international economical level and and in over the course of the last few months since we were last on we've also missed out on the uh, but I, maybe people have not missed it um the collapse of the of the ruble uh you know which is here we are talking about what government people are doing what militaries are doing but you know what about what regular people are doing and then when it comes to uh russia their their currency is greatly uh devalued and uh that's that's big you know <laughs> very big um and yeah that's also something interesting when we talk about the popularity of a president also i mean how popular do you remain if if uh if your economy is in bad shape if your if your currency is collapsing but then again who who do you blame if you're a regular citizen and you go hey my money's worthless um you could blame your government but you could also blame outside forces there's lots of room there for for <clears throat> Uh, I mean, the, 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 the price of the ruble is really more uh, a matter for companies, not so much for the uh, people. Of course, there, are, there might be some 
Um, there might be some products that get much more uh, expensive, but this is hurting the rich people more than the poor people because they are sort of, I mean, the real poor Russians are probably even uh, growing their own food um, right now. But I, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying it's not influencing uh, them. It, it, it surely does. It's, been uh, it's also interesting to see that, that uh, Russia is trying to reach out uh, towards China now. Uh, much, much more than they uh, did before. And of course, China is very open for trade as they are usually in general to uh, everybody and more things are happening. Although there are still quite a few things that you just can only get from the West. Um, like high tech uh, that's running their oil pipelines or running the, um, the oil uh, production um, uh, installations. No. Yeah, traditionally that's been the deal, right? Uh, uh, Russia has the the resources uh, and the will, <laughs> and the, the West has the technology. West has the tech. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Hey, here's a uh, a quiz question that relates to uh, it's a rhetorical quiz. You can answer at home. Uh, it relates to something we missed uh, uh, while we've been away in the connected politics Hollywood section. Um, but uh, there's going to be the first foreign visit for the North Korean leader. Uh, the the hilarious Kim Jong Un who loves Katy Perry as we all know, um, and he, guess where his first international trip is going to be? Now you at home, I'll leave you a gap right now. Guess which country he's going to visit? Okay, uh, Tim, your guess? It's Russia. It is Russia. Interesting. Ooh, I'm waving my hands in interesting mode. <laughs> oh yeah, now that he's joining forces with North Korea. Oh, world is yeah. shaking. <laughs> I think it's because he's young and he wants to go somewhere hip. And as far as hipness goes, China isn't quite there yet, but Moscow <laughs> is. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> he wants the clubs, he wants the cars. <sighs> so we all did miss bling, out all the bling bling. We missed out on the um, the uh, the interview. Uh, uh, we didn't get to discuss the interview at the oh, time. No. It's yeah. not even. It's completely forgotten now. <laughs> uh, but uh, and maybe there's not much to say about it. But I have to say, I laughed a lot. Okay, have That's you it. seen? Have you seen it? Yeah, twice. Okay, <laughs> it's that good? <laughs> no, <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny. <laughs> it's a it's, it's a cultural moment, and I wanted to experience it twice. Okay. <laughs> um, But yeah, yeah you know, it was okay. a lot of, it was fun, I would say. Mindless fun, yeah. And uh, that's, there's nothing more to say about it because everybody listening that wanted to watch it, watched it. Um, and of course, there was the leakage of all the, uh, what is it, Sony documents, but uh, eh. <laughs> I don't know if that really changed the world, but it happened. All right. So um, that's... Let's uh, change to another interesting uh, international development that was happening in the last half year. Um, okay. The USA and Cuba are <gasps> hand in hand walking What? on the beach, <laughs> no! staring into the sunset, saying like, oh, baby, I've missed you. <laughs> yeah. I just saw the previews. Conan O'Brien is in Cuba right now. Oh. Uh, he just recorded a special there. Um, yes, yeah, so uh, Obama, and, you know, let's keep in mind, he's in his last two years. This is 2015. There's an election in 2016. So anytime you're a 
two-term president in your last two two years, that's the time where you do whatever the hell you want. No one can stop you. <laughs> There's going to be all kinds of crazy. Like it's going to be free towels for everybody in the U.S. pretty soon. Um, so one of his initiatives, um, independent of what Congress does, although he was going to need some support to do some of these steps, but he said. He wants to normalize relations with Cuba. And uh, I understand many of you Canadian friends and European friends, you've been going to Cuba forever. You're already, you have villas there for all I know. (laughs) But in the U.S. world, this is the mystical place. Don't know. There be dragons, right? (laughs) Uh, So even though it might seem like almost a non-news item, like, oh, the U.S. is going to open an embassy, I think, or a consulate. um, Well, an embassy they have. They had oh, yeah. all, all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, uh, yeah they, the Cuba needs it to, to do their marches in front of. Oh, that, that's right. what, they, what they do on a regular level. <laughs> there are Muppets in the window looking angry. <laughs> I don't know. But there was always something, some kind of an embassy. So, I mean, it's a place where America has a huge, huge military facility. Ah, Guantanamo. Yeah, sure. (laughs) Don't forget this is in Cuba. Mm. Um, So there was never really no connection. Of course, there was some kind of of channel. But officially, they hated each other. Although I think they have now realized that in a way, they are closer to each other than they like. And um, I don't know how much the new Castro... Raul Castro plays a role in this, but I think it's more about the U.S. than it's about Cuba. True. Um, that's Would the initial never happened thought, without yeah. Obama. Um, no, no, I, I think you're right about that. And even now, you'd think there's no argument to be had. Um, a lot of conservatives in the United States, especially from Florida, are saying like, "What? What? This is a terrible idea." But this is such a tiny sentiment, really. I mean. It's 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 almost a non-issue. Um, so we're going to see a lot of information and, and, and news about people going to Cuba. Um, I think the first companies that wanted to be in Cuba from the U.S. were credit card companies <laughs> or banks. Banks might have been first, which is one and the same. Um, I haven't heard about Starbucks yet, but we'll bring you an update as soon as Starbucks opens in Cuba. Um, McDonald's. And, uh, you know, it's going to be easier to travel, which is going to be good for families that aren't severely angry and holding a grudge that would never set back foot in, in Cuba. Um, I think this is good. And, and potentially this, well, I, it's got to be good. Now, the bummer, of course, is going to be, Tim, you've, you've spent time in Cuba. Uh, you may have seen something that I will never get to see or many Americans will never get to see because things will start to change faster right? We always say Cuba's in a time warp. It changes, but it doesn't change. Well, this may open the door to all kinds of changes. Mm. But I think Cuba is still very reluctant to to let the Americans just walk in. You know, that's Hmm. not what this is all about. It's first of all, it's a change of the position of the US government. Not so much has changed on the Cuban side. I don't think so, because it's all about lifting the embargo and Cuba has been calling for this uh, for decades uh, now. And they've always been right about this because there was never ever a good reason for having this embargo in the first place. You know, it was all this crazy shit the U.S. was constantly coming uh, up with about Cuba being some kind of threat to the U.S., which is not, you know, I mean, okay, we remember 
those old days in the Kennedy area with the uh, attack on the uh, Bay of Pigs and, uh, you know, uh, Cuba um, uh, stationing rockets or at least wanting to station uh, uh, nuclear uh, weapons from, from the Russia, which was, um, uh, I think, also a mistake Castro made. And he, uh, I just recently watched the... Um, the Fog of War? No, 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 not Falk of War. Oliver Stone did a long interview over three days with uh, Castro. Yeah. How is it called? Is it just called Castro? I think it's just called Castro, yeah. yeah. I haven't seen it, but I've seen it mentioned, yeah. Yeah, yeah very, very interesting. Especially, I mean, it's a few years ago, you know, he was still in power, but so interesting to see how this man thinks and talks. I can only recommend, uh, you know, you watching this uh, one more time if you haven't uh, seen it yeah. for the first time. Because it's, I, I think Castro is the most fascinating politician on this planet by far you know i mean yeah. he has survived <laughs> i don't know i have forgot how many american presidents <laughs> and even not no longer being in power himself you know he's he still surviving still, he's still there and he's a very bright man he's he, he's definitely not an alzheimer uh, patient and uh He thinks very clearly and his way to, to look at the world and look at things is really interesting. You know, it's really interesting. He, he brought his country through all the weirdnesses of the last five decades on this planet and this planet has changed a lot. And, it's, and, it, and, I, and I still think, I mean, you can say a lot of things against the Cuban government and the situation in Cuba. But at least part of it is really induced from the outside. And if you look at the uh, situation Cuba is in, a lot of the problems are actually caused by this U.S. embargo. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's not really related to you know, the Cuban government per se. Uh, you can disagree with their motives. You can disagree with their uh, general trends and, and, and how they see things. But they have also... Um, created a world where every Cuban can read and write. Nothing you could say from the US, you know, yeah. where the me medical situation in general is so good, you know, much better than the US. And they are uh, yeah, very good on many, on many levels. And uh, they've shown at least in some areas where they're strong, like sugarcane and cigars and uh, rum, that uh, you know they are able to maintain industries and, and, and keep people uh, employed. Um, yeah. th there are not so many Latin American countries uh, where you can say, okay, you know, everybody can read and write and there are no slums. Yeah. Lowest uh, for years, I think they still have the record, uh, lowest infant mortality rate in the world. Uh, And by the way, I absolutely need to mention this. I just mm -hmm. recently came uh, across this. Cuba, in a way, in, in invented the podcast. Stop it. Uh, this is our headline. <laughs> yeah, Cuba invented the podcast. Do you know when the workers in a cigar factory work and do their thing? What, what's happening while they do it? They sit there and they're rolling the cigars. You know, they're cutting the leaves and putting them all sure. together. See. And then there's a guy sitting in front of all those workers, reading 
the news from the newspaper. Probably grandma. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, because you know they're free to listen to whatever is going on, but that's the entertainment, you know. And yeah. that's definitely what we do here, you know. You could play back our show in a Cuban cigar factory. No so change. Cuba invented news of the world. In a way. <laughs> wow. That's it. That's Here we it. go. Yeah. I've heard it all now. <laughs> I'm learning history of, of our program. Uh, yeah, so, okay. The, the list is huge, Tim. Shall we continue down this list? Do we dare do this? Uh... Two Which, more items. The, the list, the Wikipedia list. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. there's there's at least one uh, thing I'd like to um, also mention because it's uh, something different. You know, it's not oh. uh, it's okay. not another crisis. It's not political. <laughs> okay. Uh, it's it's a scientific endeavor that was going on. Mm-hmm. The visit of sixty seven uh, P, the comet. Oh. Oh, they they came to visit? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we came to visit. <laughs> Explain. Yeah, so, I mean, everybody noted that, I guess, because it was the breakthrough scientific event of the year. It was chosen as such, and I think rightfully so, uh, a mission that started more than 10 years ago, and this uh, spacecraft, Rosetta, was taking a very long approach to uh, catch this comet. And by catching, I mean get into the uh, same direction and speed as the comet and very yeah. close to it. So it could actually rotate around this comet, take pictures and other measurements, and in the end also drop a, a special lander and make it actually land on the comet. This Which is was a, pretty amazing, yeah. yeah. Which is a super amazing endeavor. And um, I was uh, lucky to be at the main event in... Um, on the comet? <laughs> on the comet, <laughs> right. <laughs> I was pushed on the comet hard. <laughs> I bounced off twice. <laughs> oh. But you were at the event at the... Where? <laughs> I was uh, in Darmstadt. Uh-huh. That's the place of the uh, European Space uh, uh, Operation Control Center mm-hmm. where they are steering all those spacecrafts and do the communication. So I was happy to meet a lot of people, not those who were immediately and directly involved because they were absolutely <laughs> busy, you know, but uh, many other friends I made uh, with my Romzeit podcast in the last years. So it was a very close-up uh, encounter for me with uh, the team and this uh, situation there. Cool. I, why do I mention this? Uh, because I think this is really what, what our planet should focus on. You know? All these wars and crazy things. Yeah, I'm bored. You know? But what mm-hmm. we should really focus on is uh, yeah, getting, getting ahead of ourselves and, 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 and try to um, find answers to the big questions. Yeah, true. And and By this is way, definitely yeah helping. Tim, what what ended up happening because uh, where I left off with this story, I haven't been following up. Is that you know the landing was successful, but communication was there was trouble. 
the communication actually was was uh, fine, and all the scientific uh, scientific experiments, uh, ten of them, that were planned, were actually happening. So they were sort of achieving uh, 100% of their initial goals. Uh, what did not work was that the, the landing itself went uh, slightly different than they expected it to be. I mean, until they actually came close to the comet, they didn't really know what to expect. I mean, that was the reason why they were flying there. Nobody ever came as close to a comet before. So there was the assumption on how the structure was, how it uh, actually looks like. And there's this general saying that uh, a comet is a dark snowball. And they were also expecting it to be uh, sort of soft and uh, cuddly on the outside, you know, uh, mm -hmm. but turned out to be very hard. So the systems, the landing gear that was um, supposed to land softly, uh, ignite a small rocket and push the lander onto the surface, which might have worked, but the rocket for some reasons didn't work. The propulsion didn't work. And then there was this... Um, <coughs> tiny um i say uh this these rotating uh pins that that try to uh fix the um the lander on yeah. on the comet which were not able to get inside the comet because it was probably too hard you mm -hmm. know the, the whole ice structure was much harder than i expected so as it wasn't pushed down and it couldn't fix itself to the ground It was lifted up again, yeah. Yeah. was flying for another hour, then going down again, hopping once more. And then it, and I must say, they initially perfectly reached the spot they wanted to land on. Mm -hmm. they, 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 before they pushed the lander out of the spacecraft uh, Rosetta, they uh, did a huge map of this whole comet and looked at all those places and did a 3D model and tried to find a place that is flat enough, that gets enough light. You know, on a regular basis, this comet is rotating, so they need to make sure they find a place where they get enough sunlight to keep the lander operated for a longer period of time. But then, and that was the bad luck, after the second hop, the lander somehow landed at a place where there's some kind of overhang, overlap, which was casting a lot of shade. So this uh, the lander was obviously only getting an hour uh, of, of sunlight per day and it needed at least three or four to operate uh, properly. So after the batteries ran out, it was going into standby sleep mode. There is still one chance and I think this is going to happen in the next uh, few months because the comet is approaching sun and sunlight uh, uh, is getting more and more intense over time that it might be enough to uh, repower the lander. So not all is lost. Uh, it's not... Mm -hmm. It's not. Uh, nobody knows if this is going to happen. Uh, it might or might not happen. But so far, it has been a total success. They have reached 100% of uh, what they wanted to do it's only this extra 50% that they were interested in uh, that hasn't happened yet space travel is uh, complicated not everybody can be as lucky as the Americans 
I have, yes, I understand. <laughs> I was going to say, I haven't been so lucky, but uh, no, no, yeah, understood in terms of record, yeah. And we know that with also the Beagle, right? With the, the, the things. Yeah, that the wrong. Beagle, which was actually found. Uh, did you hear That's that? Right. Yeah, it so was. I did, I did. It, it was found. It was found by the uh, by the American satellite, and uh, they actually spotted uh, the location where it came down, and they found uh, the parachute. They found everything, and given uh, given the, the the photos they made from uh, Beagle, they uh, could assess that it was actually working. Uh, it was uh, the the landing mechanism worked. It was uh, sort of trying to. Uh, put out all the antennas and somehow one of them probably didn't really completely come out. I don't know. Um, so it was only the communication that didn't work. Everything else worked. So they have been much more successful than they thought for the last 10 years. Yeah. I was just thinking Beagle, Beagle was a, a UK, a primarily UK uh, Yes, it was thing, a UK right? project, right. Hmm. Any chance of you visiting with any space-related... Uh, well, not the Beagle guys, because I think both of the leading uh, scientists died. Meanwhile, yeah. um, uh, I don't know. I haven't really looked at this. Uh, one thing I want to take a look at uh, for sure is the UK podcast scene here. Hmm. All right. All right. Okay. So here we arrive somewhere in 2015 uh, with many stops in 2014. And uh, I think we covered a lot of the things that we've missed and we've even managed to update some of these issues. Um, I, I'm going to say let's pause there for, for this program. And the next time we meet uh, for, for news, we can get into a classical updating you uh, from different parts of the world. There's certainly news in Latin America, in Asia, uh, more from Africa. And uh, we, we, we like to get into it and we will get into it yeah. in the next program. That's a yeah? good idea. Okay. All right. So, so for people who are out of practice, it's news of the world, news with a Z. Uh, it's also on Twitter. You can find us. It's all linkable via the beautiful website with so many handy options, including the subscribe button, the one-click subscribe button, which I like very much, Tim. <laughs> okay. Yeah? So, Click until it. next time, yes. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye.